Hello and welcome back to the Diaries of a Lady Gardener podcast, hosted by me, the Lady Gardener. I am so happy to be back chatting to lots of lovely plant-obsessed people about their stories. From flower farmers and allotmenters to some of the greatest garden gurus, listen to us chat about the things we've done in the name of plants, from our biggest achievements to our fabulous garden fails. This season is sponsored by Mole Valley Farmers, who are all about keeping your garden tidy this autumn. Visit them in stores across the UK or at moleonline.com between now and the 26th of October to make the most of their fantastic offers. You'll find discounts on items like wheelbarrows, lawn seed and bulbs ready to plant for spring colour. So head over to check out these items and many more. In this episode, I got the pleasure of chatting with no-dig gardening guru and award-winning author Stephanie Hafferty, who is another guest that I have the pleasure of meeting and watch speaking at Hampton Court Palace earlier this year, where I heard the bonking ladybird story, one which never fails to make me laugh and is a fantastic lesson in the garden. Stephanie is such an inspiration, showing people how to grow all year round whilst making the most wonderful habitats for wildlife in the meantime. Having not long moved into a new homestead in Wales, I loved hearing about her progress so far and about all of the exciting things that are coming soon. And I know that so many of you are going to love listening to this, so enjoy. Hello Stephanie, how are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Good, thank you so much for being here on the podcast this morning. Um, We obviously met earlier this year at Hampton Court Palace Flower Show, which was such a treat. So it's nice to be able to have proper time to speak to you because I feel like the show was just such a whirlwind. Yeah, it was was quite manic, wasn't it? So many people there. It was good, it was great fun. It was so nice, especially after such a long time of things being kind of those unusual times that everyone yeah. came back together and do you know what the amount of people that I met that I'd seen on Instagram for years um that it just felt like you you have genuinely known them and it wasn't like meeting a stranger for the first time even though technically it is <laughs> yeah it's strange isn't it because you you know them but you don't know them yeah absolutely and I'm always shocked so I know that this shouldn't be a shocking thing but this is the social media age we live in <laughs> I never expect people to be as they are on social media in person I always feel like they must kind of put on some kind of personality and then you meet them and you're like, you are literally how you are online and that is amazing. Yeah, I always, if they've got a different name, a different handle, I never can remember what their real name is. I have to spend ages learning it. Or if they've got a badge and I can't see unless I've got my specs on, so I spend (laughs) all my time peering at people's chests, finding out who they are. Yeah. The amount of people that I was like, I'm so sorry. We chat all the time. I only know you by your handle. I don't even know what your real name is. <laughs> um, but if we could go right back to the beginning of your kind of gardening journey, I would love to hear sort of where your passion for it began and how that has led you to all the exciting things that you do today. Um, well, I was, as a little girl, I had this obsession with kind of like, I, I homesteading, although I didn't know that was the term for mm. it. And I used to, I had a train set, an electric train set, which was an old fashioned one, like a little steam train. And I made my own farm on a piece of hardboard with paints and my train would go round. <laughs> and I also had a Playmobil covered wagon set and I'd go off 
to make my grow my land. <laughs> so I used to play it as a little girl. That's amazing. Um, and um, so yeah, it goes back then. And I like I. But then I had cacti and succulents. Mm. Um, I liked, as my mum put it, grubbing in the mud as a child. But I actually started to grow edible plants when mm. I was about seventeen. And I found out you could make alcohol from them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what a way to discover it. <laughs> and that also got me into foraging. Mm-hmm. So, and it was um, a book, which I've still got, which is um, The Farmer's Wives Weekly um, from like 1952 or something, book of um, homebrew recipes. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the ones I still use now. Amazing. So was your homebrewing successful? Yes, it was great. The only one that wasn't was rice wine, which obviously I didn't grow. And that you could have stripped paint with. That was just awful. (laughs) We put that away. I think anyone drinking it would have gone blind. But um, generally, yes. And when I went to university when I was 19, I'm taking all these demijohns of like (laughs) very wine. (laughs) I can just picture this. I think that we would have been best friends if if we didn't (laughs) eat together. Different age. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was, and then from there, I got, I was, you know, I was a student, I lived in Bristol for five years, and um, I would do the odd pot of herbs, but I, I was in a flat, I was going out clubbing, and those things that you do when you're young, and so it was when I moved from there to Northamptonshire, where I was working as a teacher, secondary school English teacher, I um, was able to have start having my own garden as a grown-up rather mm-hmm. than a corner of like my my parents garden and um, it just gradually got bigger and bigger and bigger from there particularly when I had my first child mm-hmm. and a lot of growing my own was very much linked not with alcohol but because <laughs> I had young children but with um, the fact that we were skin yeah. so I was growing as much as I could to help supplement our diet and also I'm quite allergic to a lot of products like um, soap powder and household cleaners and so I was learning how to make these things as well because I mean I would I just would get like a a rash like something from a horror film blinding headaches sneezing 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 so I was so it was like kind of a twofold thing of food for the budget and also Mm -hmm reducing the amount of manufactured cleaning chemicals in our home lives Mm -hmm. and that's amazing because most people think of gardening as like almost like a luxury hobby like I feel like we've kind of moved away from actually growing for necessity and things like that so it's really nice to hear of someone who that is part of their kind of story rather than it being like a oh I just got to a point in my life where I wanted something wonderful to do and <laughs> which is fine and I think yeah, you know, yeah that's, if that's how you get to it that is absolutely brilliant but yeah we and um so the first house this shows like back in the day you could afford to get a house mm. on um a salary that wasn't huge and um we bought a house with a mortgage obviously a little two-bedroom ex-council house in rural Wiltshire and because back way back, rural council houses had gardens that you could um, feed your family from. Mm-hmm. So I was lucky that we had a long, thin garden. And of course, I had small children. So I have three. So they had to 
play outside and all those things you have with small children. But also we had enough room for my first ever like big vegetable patch. I mm -hmm. used to have one where I rented before and we had some fruit trees and also could keep ducks and chickens. Oh, amazing. So, um, yeah, so I was like, and just learning a lot from elderly neighbours um, about growing. And mm -hmm. those days I was digging because that's what Jeff Hamilton dig, did. <laughs> I had the Jeff Hamilton organic gardening book, which was my Bible. And I, I did it that way. And then um, my children to this day, like look at things like, have they got bugs on? <laughs> from my... <laughs> I was going to ask, did they, were they quite keen to get involved or did they kind of want to play on the side while you were cracking on with the, with the growing? Um, they played on the side and, um, this probably isn't very PC, but thank goodness, because, <laughs> because I mean, I was a full-time parent yeah, and um, it was nice to have a bit of a break. So they were doing their thing. I mean, they played in the garden. They always had like places that they could dig and make things and mud pies and all of that kind of thing. Um, I made them, you know, we made them an outdoor kitchen out of um, an old shed with a, a little um, cooker made out of an old bedside cabinet <laughs> from a skip and all of that. So I, they were always outside and they, we did nature walks every day mm -hmm. unless it wasn't physically possible. Um, but it was a relief actually to have something where it was my own headspace, which I think is quite important. They all enjoyed the food. That mm -hmm. is good. They've always been good eaters. So that side of things. And, and they appreciate it when they come home and there's fresh vegetables, the, the difference in flavour. Absolutely. And do you think that they will, when they grow up, take over with like doing their own gardening? Or do you think that they'll forever come to you for your lovely fresh vegetables? I don't know. Well, so my youngest is at home at the moment. He's just finished um, his degree. You're waving at your mama. <laughs> I, just I thought coming. you were having a visitation from the angels. When you were <laughs> Sorry. Um, so um, my children are 23, 25 and 28. Mm -hmm. So Theo is at home at the moment. He's just finished a master's um, and is applying for graduate work. Um, my middle child is studying mycology in London Ooh, at Kew wow. <laughs> and, um, and St Mary's, Queen Mary's University. Um, and my daughter is doing a postdoc in Oxford, at Oxford, um, in, I can't quite remember what it's, because these things tend to have titles about this long but it's very much to do with looking at sustainable growing and climate change oh wow that's so amazing. although none of them have home gardens although my son is hoping to um have a little garden on his balcony in the spring in London mm -hmm. um they have interestingly enough apart from Theo who's does climb the apple trees and pick apples for me um <laughs> you know they've got into careers or work or studies which in some way are linked with the soil definitely and they obviously have that real respect for for the earth that we live in rather yeah. than it being kind of like a, oh mum just does all the growing in it oh they did that as well as, as teenagers definitely <laughs> yeah, and I when imagine. I got my polytunnel they thought uh, which was the one in my previous garden um they thought this was a complete waste of me growing Put, having it for animals, um, not animals, sorry, plants, and they wanted to put like lights in and hang out in there with their mates. So yeah, they were. <laughs> That's what I'm very <laughs> tempted to do. Teenagers love, oh, mum, veg, which is fun. <laughs> 
I think that everyone goes through those phases, though. The amount of people that I've spoken to, particularly this season, who said that they were really into gardening as a child, and then in their teenage years, it just wasn't cool. And so they were never interested in it. And then sort of later in life, they rediscover it and they're kind of like, oh, I wish that I'd wish that I'd never lost it. But I think it's quite magic to kind of refine that yeah. like, passion for the great outdoors. So we all have phases. We do, we do. <laughs> and so where do you live now? You live in Wales, don't you? I do, yeah. And you have a pretty incredible growing space in Wales. Tell us. About it's lovely. Yeah. So it's not huge, huge, but it's the biggest one I've ever had. I've worked in bigger spaces. Mm-hmm. But, um, so it's just under half an acre. It's completely surrounded by farmland. Oh, wow. you know, there are some other houses here, but um, my views from my windows here, and this is my home office, um, it's just right across the valley to mountains and things. It's absolutely lovely. And um, so when I moved here, it was all grass and some old fruit trees. And I've been making a productive garden still doing that. So, uh, yeah, it's fantastic. I'm really excited to have it. Yeah, it looks incredible. And I am obsessed with your new... um... What I can't think what the building's called, but it's going to be a kitchen, isn't it? Like a oh, my kitchen. outdoor kitchen. Yeah, yes. Today, so this that was Mark who lives <clears throat> like um, actually he lives quite near, but because of the roads here and the mountains, it might take <laughs> half an hour to get there. Yeah, and he is brilliant um, carpenter, so he made me an outdoor table um, mm-hmm. which wouldn't blow away. So it's got a lot of metal in it because it gets windy on here. So I wanted mm-hmm. a table that would be outside and while he was doing that I said this is what I want here and he said oh, I can make that and he works some of the time at the local forestry um so they there was there are plantation forests around here mm-hmm. from back in the day and gradually they're clearing and then using the timber as you absolutely should and then it can be replanted with um, a more diverse planting mm-hmm. so it'll go back to how it used to be in forests rather than these monoculture forests Mm -hmm. so it's the timber is from the forestry again very close to here I can see it from the back garden um and yeah so it's like a kind of bus shelter made of wood (laughs) a bus shelter it looks far more glamorous than that yeah but it's going to be yeah it's it's the outdoor kitchen um or bar if you're talking to my kids but uh, <laughs> you know it's so um yeah I'm very excited about that At the moment it's just a wooden structure with nothing in yet but you can definitely see the potential of it <clears throat> and I guess it's kind of like it must be so exciting to see the the transformation of the space how long have you been there for now um, I moved here middle of March 21 so it's oh, okay so not long. months something like that I've lost track of time. What month are we in now? Uh, <laughs> November. <laughs> so I started the first bed on March the 31st. Oh, wow. Last That's year. amazing. Yeah. And so how has the growing season been for you this year? Because obviously every year is a challenge, but this year for me felt particularly challenging. Um, Not too bad. I'm sorry to say that, but <laughs> one advantage of Wales is it's wet. Yes. So although we had less rain than... Uh, usual for the area Mm -hmm. and you could see with you know nature was struggling a bit and there were for Wales really high temperatures yeah um nothing compared with what happened in England 
mm-hmm. for example you know I was comparing notes with friends people were looking at photos of my garden going your grass is still green and it's like <laughs> I wasn't watering it we still had um dew in the morning oh, there wow. were still mists so it's now we've had according to my neighbor who has a weather station and keeps records so my neighbor takes me over 20 minutes to walk to her house <laughs> up the hill um she said we've had about 65 percent of november's rainfall already this oh, month wow. a normal amount so not too bad we've had a few things bolting that shouldn't and the worst bit is it then got cool and then it got hot again Mm -hmm. so a lot of things were triggered by oh I've gone through the winter now it's the spring I'm going to become a parent and flower yes but yeah not as bad as other places Mm -hmm. do you know what I'm really pleased to hear because it is quite um soul destroying when all you hear is people going oh it's just been a terrible year I'm glad that there were people that still had really good successes elsewhere in the country I mean not not everything was a terrible disaster I still had loads that grew it was just the veg for me and that was partially to do with my own fault but but also veg is you know it's a particularly annual veg it's so Mm. linked with the cycles and if it gets dry so most of my Florence fennel bolted because I wasn't going to be watering things all the time Mm -hmm. and they didn't get the water they needed um and then you just think okay well this is actually there's lots that can you can do with to Florence fennel still in my garden flowering away it looks lovely but um the worst the disaster for me this year was my my favorites favorites of the disasters so last year I would sow carrots and you know these are brand new beds sow carrots they would grow harvest carrots enjoy them (laughs) carrots coming out of our ears carrots with everything this year I sowed my carrots they germinated and they all got eaten I'd sow some more, they germinated, and they all got eaten. And I do not know why. I sowed some in my polytunnel in the normal time of year I do for overwintering carrots, and they all got eaten. (laughs) It's like for other stuff, like last year I lost almost all my radicchio. I planted them out. I was working away for a week, came back. They'd all gone by about two. And I grow a lot of radicchio. I'm obsessed with it. I love Mm. it. This year, they were fine, you know. Couldn't grow carrots, could grow radicchio, and there's no rhyme or reason for How why bizarre. my carrots went. And you have no idea what it is that's eating them? It'll be slugs or wood lice. So oh, I know okay. what it is, but there's no reason for it. It's not like I can say it was a particularly damp time and mm. all the slugs came out, or there was this habitat here, it's full of wood lice. They came out and said, thank you very much, because they mm-hmm. quite like carrot seedlings. There was no reason for it because other things in the same bed were fine. How but bizarre. I think it's like nature goes, ha, 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 this year you're not going to be able to grow carrots. Yeah. So I've sown a late crop in the polytunnel mm-hmm. and we'll see. Yeah, and, you know, I might get baby carrots because they'll flower April time. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, you know, spring. Um but I might get baby carrots. It might be. It's the latest I've ever sown them. I mm-hmm. sowed them sort of the middle of October. A great experiment, though. I know. Actually, when you're talking about nature, I feel like you're going to have to tell, because this is this is how I remember you by, is the bonking ladybird story. <laughs> because at the show, 
you told it to me at my plot and I was in tears and then we came to watch your talk and the moment we stood there all I heard was bonking ladybirds and I was in tears honestly from the second we stepped into the tent and everyone else was howling so please share this story so, so I grow very much with wildlife in mind um it's a crucial part of what I do and so I try and have as many things flowering as possible year round. And one of the ways I did this in my previous garden, well, I had a, my back garden there and my allotment. And between me and John, who was my allotment neighbour, I grew a border of different plants, all different kinds of annuals and perennials. And it looked lovely. We had bees and butterflies and all kinds of gorgeousness. And then leave it to die back naturally so it's providing habitat for things to overwinter so this was great we both really liked it looked fabulous and nice for the wild things so in the spring of 2020 when we had that lovely spring gorgeous weather and we're all locked down you mm -hmm. could still go to your allotment so that was great and I went up there to do some gardening and I had to go home because my allotment was completely covered with bonking ladybirds <laughs> and that is the absolute truth they were everywhere I thought I just got to leave them to do their sweet thing <laughs> and I went home and did something else and then you know the next time I went up they'd all laid their eggs and done their thing but because I'd created this habitat which provided food for the larvae and also an overwintering place for the adult ladybirds. They knew this was a great place to raise their families. And that sunny day, they all came out of where they <laughs> with love in their hearts. <laughs> I'm so glad you gave them the privacy for them to do their business in peace as well. You know, I was worried about treading on them. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm guessing that that led to absolutely zero aphid problems. Um, yes, we had very few, um, mm -hmm. but you want, the thing is you want aphids. So yeah. for example, you get some black fly on broad beans and then I would not go into a mad panic or anything like that. You just leave it because you need the black fly in order for the predators to have something to eat. And then they come along and eat it. So it's all a balance of predators and prey. And I had it pretty good in my previous garden and I'm increasing it rapidly here. Mm -hmm. It's going to take time, obviously, because it's a new garden. But um, yeah, I've got increased all kinds of insects. It's certainly different to how it was a year ago. Mm -hmm. And I'm also noticing the birds have increased because they've kind of twigged. Ooh. A little haven. On a buffet, yeah. <laughs> but as I've got the the back garden and the orchard where I grow um when I moved here it was all grass apart from some trees and so there were some nice flower borders um now that there's more and more and more beds there's such an increased range of habitat mm -hmm. and I have specific areas as well where I've got wildlife areas um so bird foraging has lots of shelter because we've got all kinds of birds of prey. We've got like higher up predators in the area. So yeah, I think they, they it's just such a good place for them to forage. And, mm -hmm. and also they like the compost and the mulches because you can find bugs and things. 
So it's great. And I've got a trail camera in the orchard and we see who's been visiting. And oh, it sounds so magical. It's really nice. It wasn't nicer yesterday. The rain was horizontal. It was like the end of days. It's not always yeah. lovely. We have to go through the bad days to have the good yeah. days, don't we? <laughs> like today, we were saying that the weather is actually quite nice. It's, yeah, it's positively glorious compared mm. with what we've had. Absolutely. And bearing in mind... For context, it's the 9th of November, so we are like hitting that kind of like cold, wintry season. So yeah, and we have had cold here, which mm. is nice. It's not no frost yet, but it was really nice the other day to think actually this wind's cold mm-hmm. because in October we were getting wind and it was warm. And yes, that's like, it doesn't feel right. Absolutely, but- and and it's quite. It's, we've been talking about it a lot recently, um, like with family, friends, people on Instagram is the fact that we haven't had a frost yet. And last year, I personally didn't have a frost until maybe January. And so all of those plants that you expect to die off, like the dahlias, I keep being Mm. like, oh, I don't want to dig them up yet because some of them are still flowering. And I'm like, if if a frost could just come and kind of make that decision for me, then that would be great. And now I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to cut down the plants because I don't know if the frost is going to come because it didn't come last year. And I don't know how that's going to affect everything. I've had this week a sunflower bloom in the middle of one of the paths and I'm like why are you blooming it's November (laughs) yeah I've got I've got a a, some I'm not a flowery um expert so unless it's something I'm growing specifically they're called flowery shrubby things and I have (laughs) flowering flowery shrubby things that I don't know what they are they're pretty but I don't Mm. think they should be doing this I've had crocus flowering wow and it's like I'm saying to just stop yeah it's not your time um but yeah hopefully hopefully we'll get some frost soon I've still got um house plants that live in the house in the winter outside Mm -hmm. so I've got to remember to get them in because my specialism is leaving them out so they get killed (laughs) (laughs) what specialism to have (laughs) I Um, I really like scented pelagoniums and Mm -hmm. they're the ones that I I like to kill as well by accident so this weekend, they're going to get sorted out and mm-hmm. trimmed back and they can come in and live in the house for the winter. I just like to put them out for the summer yeah. so they can have a bit of a holiday. Absolutely. <laughs> I think they probably like it. Definitely. Um, the thing that has cropped up as well is everyone's like, oh, it's so lovely to see all the flowers still out. And it's so beautiful. And I'm like, it is really lovely, but it's not natural for them to be no. doing this. And I just, I dread to think what the consequences of that could be it's difficult isn't it yeah it's um I mean sometimes I'm listening to the birds and I'm thinking you're sounding a bit spring-like and so that's why I was glad when it started to feel cold because I'm thinking that might stop them thinking oh it's the spring because it's well they don't have calendars to go by do they (laughs) no no (laughs) but we had to imagine them with a little calendar in their birdhouses going oh is it spring? Oh, no, no, we're still in November. Don't worry. Stop tweeting. Stop tweeting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, um, we have, we've had a couple of like storm, high wind, heavy rain storms, and it's flattened quite a few things. And it's like, oh, actually, I'm quite pleased because you really, <laughs> it's like, great, I can put you in the compost heat now. And that's it, it's done. It's one less yeah. thing to think of. And I'm like, oh, 
can't admit this, can I? I've got to keep saying, oh, no, all I want to do is look after plants. But sometimes, actually, yeah, when the frost has killed stuff and it's like, OK, you're gone now. Yeah. Phew, I don't have to find seven things to do with nasturtiums <laughs> every day. Um, it's and like during the polytunnel. Because <laughs> of the tomatoes. And here, uh, the big difference between Somerset and Wales is it is a bit darker. And it's almost like there's an off switch, whereas in Somerset, it would go much slower into autumn. Here, it just suddenly seems to go, bam, it's autumn. Mm -hmm. And we get very heavy mists, and which is fine, it's beautiful. But the tomatoes in the polytunnel, which I'd de-leafed because it was October, you know, and I'm just waiting for the last ones to ripen, which I probably would have left till now in Somerset. Mm -hmm. I cleared all of those because... I've got all the underplanting of what I want for the winter mm -hmm. and it's light. And I'm just thinking, no, actually, you're still making darkness for these new transplants. And so I'm clearing them, which is I grow a lot in that. So it was a long <laughs> job. It took me two days. And afterwards, it's like I've got these boxes and it's like, oh, thank God. Soon I'm going to have to stop thinking what to do with some tomatoes. Yeah. And then next year, when they start growing again, it's going to be really exciting anticipating those tomatoes. Definitely. <clears throat> I think that's part of the whole gardening cycle, isn't it? Is you're so happy when it starts, but you're also so happy when it ends. Yeah. For the start to come again. So it's that kind of like, yeah. like right now I'm so excited about next year and I'm so excited to clear everything and have that kind of fresh start. And it's almost like a fresh chance to start again so anything that went wrong this year doesn't matter because I'll try again next year and it exactly. might succeed and it's just yeah. so exciting every single time that it comes around because you have that gap of missing the things and then suddenly you've got a glut and you're like god what am I how many ways can you cut a tomato and boil it yeah <laughs> and they stand sit there in their crates looking at you reproachfully you have not used them yet and then yeah, one I'm, will go mouldy and they're like, and you're like, panic stations, like, must, must do something with them before they all go. Uh, the one thing here, um, last year I had almost no apples. Um, mm -hmm. it, partly the, it was a bad year for apples here. And also um, squirrels, jays and magpies just attacked the whole trees. Now this year I haven't had so many and I don't know why. Okay. I mean, I think there's probably more for them to eat here now. Mm -hmm. And I've got more water sources here than I did when I moved here. So if they're thirsty, there's more places for them to drink. Mm -hmm. So I don't know for sure why, but, um, and so with, particularly with the weather and these trees have gone crazy with apples and there was more than we could with the fact, you know, I've got to work and things too. I can't mm -hmm. spend all day in my garden. Um, quite a lot are on the ground and then you think, oh no, waste, <laughs> the doom is upon us. But actually having apples on the ground as they break down, that's food for so many different insects and then the mammals and birds and things that prey on the insects as well as providing food for mammals and birds too. So, for example, Bernard the Hedgehog. Bernard the Hedgehog. <laughs> My son Theo named it Bernard. We don't actually know if it's a boy or a girl. We only see it on the trail camera. Mm -hmm. It's a fat hedgehog. It's a healthy hedgehog. But all of this debris on the ground under the apple trees, which is full of all kinds of insects, 
and every night we see Bernard heading down there. So <laughs> it must be great forage for a hedgehog. And if I used every single apple or every single tomato or every single cucumber and nothing was left for nature to have a munch on, then I wouldn't have a sort of biodiversity here that created a good feeding ground for a Bernard or you know, all the creatures that are, when you see in the spring, when you see all the birds really exhausted as they're trying to feed their young and yeah. you know, like looking through the window going, could you go and take over for a minute? <laughs> I just need you know, five yeah. minutes for myself. <laughs> so I, you know, I'm, I'm actually quite glad that I couldn't get to pick all those apples because part of me goes into, I must pick preserve all the apples or we shall surely not survive the winter but <laughs> I will and but the wild things actually are more at risk of not so mm. you are such home. a such a sponge of all of these experiences that you the way you retell them is just brilliant but oh, I wondered whether do you like other than being able to retain all the information do you have like a diary or a notebook where you kind of look back on the years previous or is it all self-retained it's partly I do um, I do keep notes. Um, one of the key ones I have is um, photographs. Mm -hmm. I always have my phone with me, um, not because you know, I'm checking how many likes have I had on my post, but because I photograph everything. Mm -hmm. And the brilliant thing with both my phone and my camera, real camera, is you know they give you the dates and the times. Yeah. And I find that a really good trigger. So I'll remember that. And then on the photographs on my computer, I'll have notes there where it's like, so I'll remember from that. Mm -hmm. all the, and because it's a bigger picture where you've got, this is how it started and this is where it ended up in August and yeah. all the bits in between. Um, time, in fantasy me, keeps copious diaries mm -hmm. but it's there's only so many hours in the day yes and um I actually wouldn't be able to do it <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea of it but I just can't I'd like I'm very much with you on the photos and I will go the dahlias weren't blooming this time last year and then I'll go back and see when the first photo of a dahlia I took was and be like okay that's my comparison and that's it because it's like a natural it feels like a very kind of instinct is to just take a photo of everything as it happens to kind yeah. of for that excitement so it's, it is that is a really good way of thinking about it as kind of like a, a photo diary I guess yeah it's really and then obviously there's I, I do a blog when when I have the time to write that but that <laughs> can encapsulate what's happened in a month I've just done one which is like the past two months mm -hmm. some of the things that have been happening here and um yeah it's uh and it's, it is good, I think, to have to try to remember. It's good to exercise the brain. Definitely. But I mean, I studied literature for my degree and I've read a lot of great diarists. But most of those, you know, they weren't working full time and doing the housework and making dinner and preserving tomatoes. You know, it's like there is this context. And mm -hmm. um, back when I first, you know, now very much, you know, I, I'm a freelance writer so my social media is part of my work yeah now, all of the stuff I'm doing on that now which is technically that's work it's it's not some it takes time to do it properly mm -hmm. and it's not something that people even thought about even a decade ago you know so there's like I think we all need to cut ourselves some slack and we have pretty busy lives 
absolutely and you know what I think that when you're doing something that you enjoy you're like yes I'm busy but I'm busy doing something that is making me happy and it's like for you it must be amazing to be able to write about the garden and you've got so many amazing books and to kind of like share that knowledge and passion rather than slogging away at a nine-to-five that you just don't have a care in the world for. <laughs> I, I, I'm very lucky, absolutely. I mean, it does... To, I have done this, the nine-to-five things. Mm-hmm. I've done I've done all kinds of jobs in the past. I've worked in offices, and I think that's... And I've even had a job as when I was a student stuffing junk mail in envelopes, which was <laughs> the worst job I've ever done in my life. It was... Um, very dusty environment and super boring but I think mm-hmm. it's really important to do those things Definitely. because it puts life in a context yeah. and um you know it was good that I was training for a qualification which meant I was then teaching in schools so I wasn't working in this very um dusty environment but for a lot of people they don't have that choice and it's mm-hmm. It is a privilege, you know, the fact Absolutely. that, okay, I can say, uh, the, how do I set up a garden like this on my own? I work seven days a week. That's the reality. Mm-hmm. I rarely have a day when I'm not working in some shape or form. But, and I've got a humdinger of a mortgage, you know, <laughs> like most of us have a mortgage or rent. But it's still very much a privilege to be able to organise my week mostly in a way that you know I have certain things that have to be done at specific times and the rest of it can be relatively organic and mm-hmm. moved around depending on weather you know so I can shift things <laughs> yes up. um and it is it's not um a lot of people just don't have gardens in this mm-hmm. country and um and access to community spaces isn't possible for everyone weirdly last night I, I was a student in Bristol and there was this amazing community garden where, near where I lived in Montpellier um, and you'd go down I knew it well because it was the walk from our flat down to the pub in St Werberg <laughs> called the farm and it was St Werberg city farm and I dreamt about this allotment site last night oh, wow. in the middle of this I wonder I wonder what it's like now I mean my dream it was how it was 30 years ago um but yeah, I think there's there has to be that context. Mm-hmm, of, absolutely. You know, it's um, and so I always do try. I mean, I, both my all of my kids when they're rented places, you know, they're living in situations where they don't have access to outdoor spaces usually, and um, you know, so my daughter and I did a little thing about I was showing her how to grow some food on the windowsill and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It is amazing what you can do in those smaller spaces. <clears throat> I think a lot of it as well is that people don't know how to get started and things like that. So uh, it's something that we've had a lot of conversations about recently is that despite the fact we live in the middle of the countryside, there is very, very little housing available that has a garden or even a balcony. The allotment waiting lists are insane and it takes months, if not years, many, many years to get an allotment site. So I think it's great that the the interest in gardening has increased so much but the actual accessibility is one of those things where now that I'm into it I can't believe it but five years ago I would would have never crossed my mind that there wasn't that kind of like we don't have a community garden in the local area as far as I'm aware of <clears throat> but people constantly ask me about it they're like oh where's the, the nearest community garden 
Mm. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think there is one. I don't think that it's as much of a thing as it was kind of once upon a time when people did rely on those spaces for their food and things like that. So it's really interesting. Yeah, and um, similarly, when I lived in Somerset, um, the new builds that were fields, a lot of the fields were becoming housing estates. And most of the houses, the gardens, and this is in the countryside, were about the size that you could barely put a whirly gig up to dry your clothes. Oh, wow. It was, they were tiny. Mm -hmm. Whereas I, before living here, both my previous houses were ex-council houses. They were sold off decades before. Mm -hmm. Um, And you got that social housing. Having a garden big enough, when the house I moved from was built in 1929, I think, it was the garden was the size for, as things were then, big enough to keep, grow food, have Mm -hmm. some fruit trees, keep chickens and keep a pig. So obviously nowadays you wouldn't be allowed to keep a pig <laughs> in a garden that size because it was about 30 by 100 feet. Mm-hmm. But that was a rural norm for social housing. The thought was the rural poor to supplement their income. Yeah. Whereas now you're lucky if you've got somewhere to put your bin outside. You know, it is. I don't. I don't have somewhere to put my bin outside. Well, there you are. You're... <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, yeah, it is. It's extraordinary, narrow minded, not giving people outdoor spaces as part of the design of the housing. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope that we see some changes over that in the coming years. Uh, that <clears throat> That's probably very optimistic. But I just feel like because the the kind of like it's almost been a great gardening revival since lockdown where all these people have come out of the woodwork and are suddenly very sorry. <laughs> People keep popping their heads through the doors. <laughs> they think you're talking to yourself. Your Probably, family yeah. think, oh, goodness me, she's finally flipped. <laughs> all that hanging out with dahlias. <laughs> yeah, and they wonder why I prefer plants to people. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, very idealistic. But I think because so many people have discovered the benefits of gardening, both for the environment, for their own mental wealth, mental well-being... The, the fact that homegrown veg just tastes so much better than the supermarket thing. So I do hope that there's kind of a little nugget in there that in the future, people will start to kind of think about those outdoor spaces a little bit more. I definitely live in a first floor flat with no outside space, nowhere to put the bin, barely even a parking space on the street. <laughs> so uh, like if I could move anywhere else, I would, but it is a really, really tough time. Oh, tell me about it. I mean, my son jokes that he's going to be here forever. Yeah. Uh, it's like, how do you, how do you even find somewhere to rent yeah. these days? Um, well, they don't like single people. This is what confuses me. They won't have me because I'm a single person who lives on my own. Oh, and my I'm like, goodness. Sorry, is, that, <laughs> is it like the olden days where you're not allowed to move out unless you're married? Or <laughs> I wonder. I don't know. I know a friend of mine was trying to move within Wales and um, everywhere, you know, she'd apply for, uh, you know, to get a view. And mm-hmm. there were just like queues everywhere. I think it's a yeah. lot to do with Airbnbs. Yes. Um, nationally, um, that people that has reduced the housing stock because mm-hmm. when, like when I lived in Bristol as a student, it was 
a piece of cake you know you just kept moving here there and everywhere there was never really much of an issue mm -hmm. and the rents were you could still feed yourself and turn the heating on there were <laughs> you know we didn't live a frivolous life we wore charity shop clothes and I, one of the reasons I got into cooking so much was you know it's cheap it's much cheaper than going out and buying food from a mm -hmm. takeaway um but it's I don't know I just it's just crazy I just don't know how people are going to cope well they're not I mean people are going getting homeless mm -hmm. and um I'm not well I, the answer is to sort out the housing stock but I'm not that's not my area of expertise <laughs> at all no, I, I completely appreciate that though and it's a uh, yeah I think it is a bit of a scary time but there's hope in the garden and that's totally what trying yeah. to cling and, on to. <laughs> and community gardens mm -hmm. in cities are increasing Definitely. and I mean one thing that is really important I think is with things like community garden projects wherever they are and there's some in parts of Wales, rural, up mountains, is it's really important to discuss with the community what they want. I was mm -hmm. asked, in you know, as an expert to give some advice to some people wanting to set up a community garden in a small town in Wales. And the one thing they hadn't done was ask the local community what they actually wanted so in my mind it was like well it would be great to have heritage welsh varieties and mm -hmm. da -de -da -de -da and a pond and pond dipping for small children but the reality i don't know you know it's the first thing you need to do is discuss with the areas and find out what people really want mm -hmm. because and then work from there in a lot of discussion with people and also um Jason, the cloud gardener. Oh, yes. Who I keep meeting in, we both keep giving talks at the same events, <laughs> but never seeing each other because we're like always on at the same time or something, but we keep meeting in like the press tent. Um, I think what he's doing with balconies and showing how they can be transformed is great. Absolutely. So there's lots it's just so much inspiration there. around. Yeah. I'm so glad you said as well about asking the community what they want. We've still recently started a kids gardening project um, and we're going into schools and kind of helping them to transform what it seems like there must have been a big push on gardening a few years ago. And everyone had these gardening spaces and they got laid to waste and none of them are used now. They're all completely overgrown. So we're kind of going in and helping to bring those spaces back to life. But a lot of them go, oh, what do you think we should do? And I'm like, well, what do you, what do the staff want? What do the children want? What, like, what, how would the space be most useful to you? Like, if I just set it up, it might not be set up in, like, I'd, I'm not a teacher. I don't run a school. Like, any information on how you would like to use the space is going to help to kind of shape that place so much. And it's been one of those things where it's really hard because you feel like you're going, no, no, I'm not going to tell you what to do. And I'm like, I'm, I'm happy to offer ideas. It's just you need you need to know what the space is going to, where it's going to make the biggest impact. So in one of the gardens, we've got like an outdoor classroom area and we've got a den building area, which is quite, quite like forest schooly. And then there's the vegetable area because they've got lots of space, but it's kind of, we want a space where we can have an entire class sat down for a lesson outside. We want a space where they can do arts and crafts and do this and that and the other. So it's amazing to have that insight and then be able to progress in that way rather than it being a kind of, 
one size fits all. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it depends on the age and also what cooking facilities they have. Yeah. You know? So you might want things that would make really good soup because that's what works best in that particular environment. Or you might want plants that bring in lots of little creatures because small if it's small children, they they want to see caterpillars and wiggly worms and ladybirds. You know, there's so many different things. How is it going to be over the summer when yes. realistically no one is going to go and water for sex? Exactly. Weeks, really. <laughs> you know, there's lots of things. Definitely. That, um, and so on the education front, this is the perfect time to talk about. <laughs> you have recently announced that you're running courses at your amazing space. Yeah. Can you tell us more about the courses and what the exciting plans are? Yes, so I'm really pleased about this because people keep asking and I'm always getting messages. When are you going to do courses? Is it open to the public? And it's like, practically at the moment, no way. <laughs> Health and safety, no way. You would plummet to your doom, clearing some branches you'd trip over. But by next, so the, towards the end of March next year, also with things like this, you know, there's the legal side of it. Mm -hmm. You've got to have the right insurances, yeah. that kind of thing, as well as just making sure people aren't going to trip up and fall in the compost heap. So it's from next March. I've just put the first five dates up. Um, it's grow year round, no dig gardening courses here. So it's like one of the things that I am really into, which obviously I got into out of sheer necessity, <laughs> is growing food year round as mm -hmm. much as possible, whatever space you have. So and I'm fortunate that through my work, I've worked in market gardens, I've worked on private estates. So I worked, I've worked for billionaires where I've got, had amazing resources. And also I've had allotments where you literally, you're making things yourself out of bits of wire and pallets. Um, so yeah, growing year round and obviously no dig gardening because that's how I grow. And, um, but based here. So yeah, that hence the beautiful outdoor kitchen because that yes. is a place that was offers shelter and cups of tea and I'm keeping the group numbers small so that it's easier for people to ask questions because although I, I you know I'm used to huge groups of people I think it's nice to be able to in smaller groups you'll feel more able to ask the things that um, are niggling you Mm -hmm. about and that you might think oh is this a silly question whereas if you've got like 30 people it's you, often some people would feel less confident about being able to say you know I've got a question about carrots yeah and that one-on-one -on -one time I think is so important especially for people who are kind of newly getting into gardening where they they kind of feel like they can't ask the questions they don't want people to think that they're like you say don't want it to be a stupid question but also because everyone has such a specific individual place, you can't necessarily do a talk that is going to address every single growing situation that would be within that audience. Whereas on that one to one time, you get that time to go, well, I've got a one meter patch of grass. What can I do with it? Can I turn that into a no dig bed versus I've got an entire lawn that stretches mm. for three acres and I don't know where <laughs> to get started. So it's, it must be amazing to have that kind of one to one time to chat another are the workshops kind of full days over weekends um one day workshops so mm -hmm. and well part from sort of 10 30 to 3 30 ish yeah. um sort of half an hour either end for arriving and departing mm -hmm. um and the one good thing I think about I 
live um, in Caradigian and it is really beautiful here. Mm -hmm. So I've done them so far all on Saturdays because it is a bit of a trek for some people yeah. and it means that you can make a really nice break. There's lots of places to stay. We're really close to the coast. The Cardigan coastline is one of the most spectacular in the country. Obviously, I'm very biased. You go to the top of my lane, you can see three mountains. It's not my personal lane, the one I live on. <laughs> you can see three mountain ranges. You know, it is spectacular here. So not only can you come and have this kind of immersion in growing your own food, but also spend some time, you know, we're under an hour away from um, the Botanic Garden of Wales, which has the largest single span greenhouse in the world. Oh, wow. And it's the climate inside is Mediterranean. So it's really good going there. <laughs> it's like, it is like going on your holiday. You yeah. just go in and take all your layers off. And there's birds that live in there, normal birds, like well, that you have outside that have moved in there because it's wow. like permanent summer. So there's all this lovely. When I first went, I thought they were playing a bird song tape, but no, it was it's real birds. That's amazing. So yeah, so there's like that, and eventually I want to be able to. So the other thing I do is um, what to do with everything that you mm -hmm. produce, and I want to be able to do those workshops, but there isn't the actual space here to do that. My kitchen's quite small, um, but that is on the list of eventually I'll do that too on a different day well, that sounds like an exciting future project as well yeah you, are, you are such project. a busy lady though I am always very impressed with how much you managed <laughs> to cram into it I mean this year especially has been a busy one for you hasn't it with different talks and yeah yeah it's just been it's been I mean, watching in a good way tired <laughs> um yeah it was it's been there's certain things I've got. I always have a pad on my desk and I have like notes that make sense to me of all the things I need to do. Mm -hmm. And um, some of them have been there since March, you know, <laughs> just getting, getting rewritten because one thing, it, some of the talks, it can take me two hours to get to a motorway. Yeah. <laughs> so, which is like one of the most beautiful drives ever, but you're doing it at 25 miles an hour. Yes. Um, and but it has meant I've been you know I started off the first talk I gave this year was a Kew Gardens part of their lecture series and the last one I'm doing is next Monday um, which is to a gardening group nearby but I've spoken at um, Chelsea Flower Show and RHS shows all over the place it's been a hoot um, I did three days at Harrogate Flower Show which was brilliant I'm originally from Yorkshire so mm -hmm. it was like immersion in Yorkshire <laughs> and uh, they built me my own stage no way I was dead posh usually I'm on like the same stage as everybody else and you've just got the program but this one because they made me like my own little allotment stage it had my name on and everything that's how you know you've made it yeah I, was like, oh, your own stage. I, I wanted to like give a, a really complicated rider and things like that but I got a lunch voucher instead. <laughs> Did you have to pose on stage for your press shots afterwards? <laughs> no, no, no. Just, to, I mean, yeah, kind of just standing there thinking, I hope I don't look too much like a Wally when people are taking <laughs> photos. <laughs> oh, so it sounds like it's been a fab year. But <clears throat> this question I always find really interesting. 
would you say that the next few months are the quiet time? And I use that with, you know, one can see my quote marks because there is no such thing as a quiet time. But in, in sort of rel- relative proximity to the rest of the year, would you say the next few months are ever so slightly quieter or um, are they just as busy with other things? They're busy with other things. So um, one of the key things I need to do is unpack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I haven't done any. I've got, um, when I moved here, um, we I, the fireplace in the living room um, was condemned. I had the chimney checked and it, the whole thing needed replacing. So I got a highly efficient wood burner. Whenever I mention my wood burner, I get the anti-wood burner people <laughs> sending me links and put it in a context where I live. The central heating's oil. There's no alternative. The other alternative is liquid gas. Um, obviously, we have electricity that can go down. Anyway, not nothing to do with the cost of living crisis. Mm-hmm. Big storms can bring down the electricity. And it's a stone, old stone Welsh house, and the floor is mud and slate. So it gets cold, cold. and damp. So having a source of heat and cooking in a house like this, in a very rural location, is crucial. Mm. So anyway, back to my wood burner. I had to have it. And they, so they had to take the wall out through the living room and the bedroom upstairs. It was a two-week job. Wow. And then they plastered it. And I've got the guy who um, did all the work is also the local sweep. And he's coming in two weeks to clean the chimneys. And I've still not painted the wall. It's still got plaster. And I'm thinking, and I've, we've still hardly got any pictures on the wall because well, they were they were waiting to like decorate. <laughs> and I'm thinking he's going to think, what have you done for a year? And I've been in the garden, obviously. But I'm writing my next book, so I'm working yes. on that, uh, which is exciting. Are we allowed uh, to know what the new book is about? No, it's a gardening it book. Mm-hmm. That's all I can say. It is a gardening book. Um, oh, exciting. I know, I know. And I'm writing some online courses, but that's quite a laugh because obviously I've got, because I do every, most things myself, I do have someone who helps with the the tweaks that are the most crucial parts of a website mm-hmm. that means it actually works. So I have <laughs> yeah. someone who helps with that. I do all the writing and everything and upload things and then she goes, okay, I'll make it work now. <laughs> <laughs> I've, then, I've got my brother for that my brother is very yeah. good developer. <laughs> but everything else so like my youtube channel when I make a video the whole thing I'm filming it myself I'm editing it myself and at the same time I'm like googling how to do it you know what? So I'm so I'm glad to hear because that that is me this whole podcast thing I knew nothing and then I was like right google how to edit a podcast what software to use this that and the other but I do think it's the best way to learn and then someone like my friend Liz Zora, who does all of her editing and everything herself, she's entirely self-taught. She's much whizzier than me, but it kind of gives you hope that actually, because she makes these really excellent videos, mine are a little bit jolty, but you know. <laughs> but so, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm writing online courses, but I'm also going to be learning how to do that. Mm-hmm. And um, but yeah, I'd like to get I'd like to get things unpacked. <laughs> I'd like to get <laughs> back marriage. <laughs> well, um, and getting cross. things sorted, making sure. I'm, my plan is to make um, get the last of the beds finished here mm-hmm. for 
next year, obviously last of the bed, ha ha. Uh, this year I had a certain amount done in the spring from yeah. last year. And then in between working away and some of the times, you know, I'd be gone for like eight days. Um, I'd be coming back, my plants would be, which I've had Rory living here, one who's now the mycologist, and now I've got Thea. So whenever I'm aware, I've usually got a son here mm-hmm. watering. Um, <laughs> but that's all they, they water. They're not doing anything else. It's like, no way, no way am I weeding or planting up. And um, so I'd have these trays of things looking at me. And then this piece of grass and some cardboard and some compost that I'd have to make the bed <laughs> before I could put it in. So my hope is that this winter I'll be able to do the last bits of the bit where I want the bits I want to have done by next mm-hmm. spring. So it's all ready for me to sow and plant and everything next year. So I'm not having to make the bed before things go in. Yeah. In the same frame way because it does get a bit like oh no and then you're like quick 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 make a bed make a bed yeah exactly (laughs) but I do feel like we we're probably running out of time here but obviously we have to talk about no dig before we go so can you talk us through your no dig process and how you've set up your beds because I know everyone does it slightly differently yeah, um, and I, but it's one of those questions I've always fascinated about, and I want to. I'm hoping that we do it in a similar way. <laughs> yeah. So as you say, everyone does it differently. There's no one right way to do it, and also where you are in the world, you'll do it differently. Mm-hmm. So when I've seen no dig gardening in California, where my dad used to live, um, it was really deep mulches, hot, dry climate, mm-hmm. and um, here, sluggy climate. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Slug capital of the universe, the UK. <laughs> so here, all most of the beds in the back garden I have made by cutting the grass, cardboard, soaking the cardboard if it was dry weather, that kind of sticks it. Mm-hmm. And then five centimetres, two inches of compost. And that's when it's been tamped down with the no-dig dance. Mm-hmm. Dance on the bed just to firm That's it. what I'll be doing this afternoon. <laughs> yeah, it's always good to do a no-dig dance. And then in the orchard... Um, because obviously moving so far, I had to buy compost. I, and I had, you know, there's no way I was going to move. And like two weeks later, I've made all my own compost. No. So, but that is, um, so that's how I do that there. And in the orchard, there's been different beds. Some of them I've made with one centimetre of compost. Some I made with much more because I was putting potatoes straight in there and then about to go away and knew I wouldn't have to work and wouldn't be able to mulch. And then other ones I've used different mulches. I'm trying out. I've had to have some trees chopped down because they were a, a hazard with the, mm-hmm. the I've got an actual neighbor next door um didn't want the trees to land on them and so I had a lot of wood chips so I've made beds some with wood chip for perennials um some I've made using sheets of plastic just on the ground mm-hmm. which used no compost almost um just like a sprinkling so there's lots and lots of different ways of doing it. Sheep stags I've got into because the local farmer will give me dumpy bags of sheep dags. Okay. And they are an experiment. Mm-hmm. Um, everything else I've used before, sheep dags, um, I've never had access to so much pooey wool before. <laughs> oh, so, that would be very interesting. Yeah, I, so I've got some beds. It looks like a load of sheep have come for a lie down in my garden. And um, I also use green manures. Mm-hmm. which I think for um, home growers 
when you particularly at the moment because I'm making more beds this winter I have not made enough compost for all the beds mm-hmm. I, my plan is I went annually I put maybe a centimeter on just a bit like a sprinkling mm-hmm. rather than deeper amounts where I've worked in the past market gardens and things have used more compost but this is a home garden and it's yeah. like fitting in with what is actually achievable for normal people rather yes. than you know <laughs> commercial scales yeah commercial ventures so um yeah so I'm using green manures on some of the beds this winter and they'll get no compost at all mm-hmm. um any bed that I've made fresh this year won't get any compost next year because it's already had the two centimeters so it's working things out and I use um plant teas as well and ferments and stuff as well so it's all like a, a mixture yeah, I love that. And also, you actually inspired me. I saw your post saying it's not too late to sow green manures. And mm. I ordered them that day. So, I mean, it is a few weeks later at this point. But <laughs> I'm going to try it anyway, because I've got um, the allotment I'm going to do green manures on, because I try and do it every year and I always forget until it's too late. And then I see everyone going, oh, look at my green manures. And I'm like, oh, I've bloody forgotten again. Yeah, you won't be part of the green manure gang if you don't get So um, no. mustards I've sown in November before. So that's what and I've got. I think it's a yellow mustard. Yeah. So they, but it depends very much where you are mm-hmm. and what the weather's like. So in Somerset, I found November was fine. Mm-hmm. I did December last year in the polytunnel, which oh, was wow. fine. Oh, I might do it in November. the polytunnel. I'd not even thought about that. Yeah. Don't do what I did, which was, and again, in my defense, I was, it was spring. I was like going to Chelsea, going here, going there. And, and and I like to have flowering brassicas. So mm-hmm. mustards, obviously, are brassica. They bring in beneficial predators. I'm, I'm obsessed with predators. It's like a massacre here of things eating other things. And um, so I just let the green manures grow almost like waist height because of all the lovely flowers. And it was this long bed, which was the last bed I'd made in the winter in the polytunnel. Mm-hmm. The polytunnel went up in August. But I, I fell and I've got osteoarthritis. So if I fall, it takes me a long time to heal. So I'm going round on one leg, <laughs> trying to mulch a polytunnel and do everything else. Oh, it took no. Hence this bed that I didn't do till the winter. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, by the time I got round to clearing it, all the slugs in Wales had moved in. All of them. Oh, no. So green manures in the polytunnel get them while they're short don't right. let it go like that because it really and it took a long time uh for me to get that bed where I could plant things and they didn't get eaten oh wow so it was a, a lesson learned whereas and I think because they were outside I'm sorry undercover they just grew more abundantly whereas outside the outside um mustards by April they'd been killed off by winter they'd like had so much horrible weather they got oh, we've had enough and <laughs> so um yeah be careful oh, that is a very good morning um, field beans are good mm-hmm. to put in now and okay cool they'll be fine and uh that's my plan for Saturday I'm gonna do yeah. it this Saturday yeah I've still got um a bit more to do but some of it I'm also trying out and doing my own little mixtures Mm-hmm. just to see what would happen because if the bed's not got anything in it if the green manure doesn't work and it's using my old spare seeds it doesn't really matter yeah the worst that's going to happen is it will germinate then die but it's still feeding the soil 
Absolutely. So you, if you don't try things out, you don't know. Definitely, of course. I cannot wait to see what is going to happen next year with all of the different things that you're doing. Um, I just think you're 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 a very big inspiration. I absolutely love following oh, you. you. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank um, so thank you so much for taking the time. And hopefully, um, I might get me and my mum booked onto one of your courses so that we can Ooh. have a visit because the way you have described it, it sounds like my absolute heaven. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, so before we go, can you just let everyone know where they can find all of your wonderful adventures across YouTube, Instagram, online, anywhere else, books? <laughs> yeah, so um, I've got two books, No Dig Organic Home and Garden, which won Practical Gardening Book of the Year, I co-wrote with Charles, and also that's, that's a gardening book and also what to do with things, and The Creative Kitchen, which is entirely plant-based recipes because I only grow plants, I don't mm. have any livestock anymore um and on youtube instagram facebook twitter it's all and my website is all conveniently my name stephanie hafferty twitter's actually steph hafferty but with a ph but um yes so if you google you'll generally find me because Fortunately, Hafferty is unusual enough. It is. um, Generally, if you Google Stephanie Hafferty, you get me. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. And can't wait to see what you you get up to in the next, well, 12 months to however many years. Oh, I am having a holiday. You'd be happy to. You're having a holiday? If you've enjoyed listening today, please do subscribe to keep up to date with upcoming episodes and leave a review. Each share, comment and star rating makes such a difference in helping new growers to find the podcast and learn from all of the incredible guests who have been featured. In the meantime, I'd love to hear any of your stories and questions on Instagram at Diary of a Lady Gardener or via email diaryofaladygardener at gmail.com. That's all from me this week. Happy growing! <laughs>